Welcome to the Lagan Valley Vineyard Podcast. We are a community passionate about seeing Lagan Valley filled with the presence and the teachings of Jesus. If you would like to connect with us or if we can help you in any way, please visit our website, laganvalleyvineyard.com. Well, good morning. Awesome. So good to be with you guys this morning. If you're a guest or a visitor, you're super, super welcome. We're so glad that you're with us. Uh, if you're familiar around here and part of the furniture, you're also super, super welcome that you're with us. Um, we're going to continue our series. We're going to jump straight in, in uh, which is on walking with God. Stu left us off last week around prayer and worship. And so we're going to jump in this week looking at the idea of petition. So if you have your Bibles, why don't you grab them and put them up in the air? If there's one in your seat, just let me see your Bible. Excellent. You all have one. Uh, and why don't you open it to Matthew 6, verses uh, 9 to 13. Matthew 6, verse 9 to 13. Um, we're going to be bouncing about a wee bit in the New and Old Testament this morning, and so it's helpful to keep your Bible open, please um, do. I'm going to read it for us. Matthew 6, verses 9 to 13. This is where the disciples asked Jesus of Nazareth, how do we pray? This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as you've also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Let me pray before we dive in. Jesus, thank you for your scriptures. That is a light and a lamp to us. It is a guide to us. God, as we open them, we pray by your Holy Spirit, you would speak to us. Reveal yourself to us. And so, Holy Spirit, be with us in your name. Amen. Amen. Um, let me take you guys all back a few years to the beginning of the first lockdown. Now, I know that statement in and of itself is probably enough for a few of you guys to begin to start twitching a little bit nervously. Um, but right back to the first uh, lockdown, there was these fads and trends that kind of went around. Um, suddenly, my Facebook and Instagram was flooded with pictures of banana bread. Um, as soon as you remove social interaction, apparently the human state is to go to banana bread. So everyone was making banana bread. And then after that, everyone was buying gym stuff. So everyone was buying weights and barbells and treadmills and all that kind of stuff. And we were committed to leave the first lockdown fitter than we walked into it. Can't relate. But we were all going after that. And then probably about six or seven weeks in, chatting to some of the men in the room, we began to hit a very interesting phase in lockdown. It was whenever the skin fades were starting to grow out a little bit. The barbers were closed and we were looking for some help. And so what became a little bit of a trend then was getting some haircuts done at home. And so I put it off for as long as possible, trusting that barber shops would open, but they never did. And so I came to the point where I asked Jenny, we had just, uh, it's my wife now, but we were just dating for about three months if she would cut my hair. And Jenny was very apprehensive at this point around the idea of cutting my hair, which to be honest, I couldn't really understand because it's not like I really care about my hair. <laughs> Thanks, guys. But we braved it and we decided to give Jenny a go at doing uh, a little bit of a trim around the sides of my head. And uh, it was woeful. Like, I mean horrendous. It was like a right angle shaved into the side of my head. It was like a low-key mullet kind of starting to grow, which then became like a trend, apparently. But anyway, it's what I was left with. And uh, 
we were also trying to do youth ministry online. There's no, there's no books for how to lead and disciple teenagers through a pandemic. It's very difficult and very tricky. And so we were trying everything uh, online. And uh, we decided, we came up with this idea of like, let's do like midnight prayer Zoom gatherings where we'll get young people on at like four or five in the morning and we'll, we'll just gather together and pray. And uh, because young people weren't really like sleeping, like teenagers were like just staying up all night. And so we decided we're going to do that. And because they were so bored, they decided, or so passionate about prayer, they decided to jump on the Zoom calls and join us. And so we were on a Zoom call and uh, we were, there was about four or five of us and another leader and we were praying and we we're going through the motion. Now disclaimer, I was super tired. It's five in the morning. Like generally I'm like, is the Holy Spirit up like before 8 a.m., you know, like morning prayer meetings for me are like nine o'clock is like the sweet spot, you know, not a morning person. And so I was pretty tired. We were on the Zoom call and we began to pray for all things. We're praying like, God, really pray for the end of COVID and praying for those who are struggling. We're going through it. We're really, really going for about 45 minutes into it. And then it came around to me praying and I was praying for stuff. And then just out of nowhere, just began to surface for me, like God, I really believe you're the God who makes a way where there's no way. And I really believe you're Jehovah Jireh, the great provider. And so God, I please you fling wide open the gates of the barber shops in Lisbon because I need, <laughs> I need a haircut and uh, I'm not sure how to go on from this moment. And, um, and everyone kind of in the Zoom call went from like praying with their eyes down to kind of like, are you really praying about getting a haircut in light of everything that's going on? It was pretty ridiculous for me to pray about getting uh, what was apparently a haircut done to me by my now wife, getting it fixed to what was happening around the world with COVID-19 and a pandemic. It's pretty ridiculous. Maybe you can't relate to that, but maybe whenever it's a rainy Tuesday morning and you're pulling up to Tesco's and the car park's full and you're just doing laps around and suddenly this little prayer emerges from deep within your spirit and soul, it says, God, would you please let there be a space near the entrance to open up? Or you're in the checkout line and it's really cute and you're trying to figure out how to get around the line and then suddenly a prayer comes, God, I pray this one would move faster than the next one so you can get out through it. There's something instinctive in us in those sorts of moments where prayers begin to rise. Listen, it's pretty ridiculous to pray for a haircut in light of everything that was going on, but it presents a question. Is it possible that God cares as much about the prayers of a worldwide pandemic as he does about parking space prayers and haircuts. Could that be the case? In the passage that we've just read here in Matthew, this is how Jesus teaches us how to pray. And in a prayer that is as holy as hallowed be thy name and as powerful as your kingdom come, something is wedged in right in the middle as immediate and as normal and as common as today's lunch. Give us today our daily bread. A prayer that is so theologically rich that we could talk about it for probably a whole year, yet as common as today's lunch. Pete Gregg tells us that prayer means many things to many people, but at its simplest and most immediate, it means asking God for help. It's a soldier begging for courage, a soccer fan at the final, a mother alone in a hospital chapel. The Lord's Prayer invites us to ask God from everything from daily bread to kingdom come. Prayer at its most simplest and condensed is asking. So if prayer is asking, what are the guidelines around what we can ask or what we can't ask for? Where does this all blend together? What's worth praying about and what's just not worth praying about? Where does our will end and God's begin or how does it combine? And the 
pressing question, does God care about Chris getting a haircut in the first lockdown? Our series is called How to Walk with God. When restrictions eased around lockdown, we all socialized by going for walks, the only thing that we could do. It was the only way that we could actually talk to someone in person, was to go for a walk with them. For us to walk with God, it requires us to talk to him. And the beauty is that he talks back. Give us today our daily bread. Daily bread prayers are petition prayers. What is petition? You'll remember uh, a few years ago, there was a petition flying around that was to ban Donald Trump visiting the United Kingdom. Um, It got over a million petitions signed onto that. The dictionary defines petition as a formal written request, typically one signed by many people appealing to authority in respect of a particular cause. Philippians 4 verse 6 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests known to God. Part of my job this morning is to unpack the Scriptures. When we're told to not be anxious about anything. That means anything. And when he's telling us to bring everything to him, that means everything. There's no boundaries on what we can or can't. How often do you find yourself in social situations where you have a question for someone, but you end up getting back in the car after that social gathering, and someone will ask you, well, did you, did you talk to the person? Did you ask them? And you're like, no, I I didn't ask them. I didn't want to bother them. I didn't want to risk it. I decided not to ask. You never hear children say that. Children never have a moment where they get out of a situation and be like, I forgot to ask them that. Or I didn't want to ask them that. It was too awkward to ask them that. But as we grow older and more mature, apparently, we forget to ask. It becomes one of the hardest things that we are to do. See, when it comes to prayer... We're happy to get on board with contemplation, reflection, and solitude. We can subscribe to that and believe that and get behind how there's a need for that kind of prayer. Intercession and rallying prayers that calls heaven down into this space. We are all for it. We're the vineyard after all. We long to see it happen. Adoration and giving and confession of who God is. Those sort of prayers, yes, absolutely. We can do those sort of things. But asking for what we want, is that really something that God wants us to do? Any good, believing, God-fearing Christian will tell you God knows what you need. But the idea that God wants to know what we want, is that something that we're invited into? Is that something that God wants us to engage with? It almost sounds heretical. It almost sounds like something you're not supposed to say in church. Psalm 37 verse 4 says, to delight yourself, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart, not just the needs of your heart. The desires, the longings, the wants of your heart is what God wants to give us. Eugene Peterson says this, Praise and thanksgiving are always appropriate, certainly. And it's certain that our final prayer will be all praise. Heaven reverberating with our amens and hallelujahs. So practicing the scales of praise is always a good idea. But for here and now, we mostly ask. Jesus taught us to ask. And bound up in the phrase, 
give us today our daily bread. There are four unique elements that we're going to use as a map this morning to journey through this passage. The first one is when we live in to give us this day our daily bread. When we live into that, we live into an attitude of gratitude and a life of gratitude. We lean into trust, not control. We embrace relationship with God and we also embrace empowerment. And so that's a map of where we're going to go. So number one, gratitude. Matt, if you want to put up the passage in Matthew again. This passage is a very unique passage of Scripture. It involves two sets of three petitions that turns on one phrase. The first half is all about yours. You'll see it, your name, your kingdom, your will, all pointing towards God's reality. A prayer, this prayer begins with getting us out of the constant clutter of our everyday lives and focusing on what God has for us, out of our narrow perspective and into God's bigger perspective. And that is the place in which we were to pray from. We become aware of God's name that is a name that is high and above any other name, his kingdom that is ruling and reigning, and his will that he longs to demonstrate in and through us. This is how he teaches us to pray, to not just give our attention to him, but our entire imagination. And it's from this place that he tells us to pray. Then the pronouns shift. You'll notice that it goes from yours to us. Give us, forgive us, lead us. And the shift in those pronouns hinge on one phrase, on earth as it is in heaven. On earth as it is in heaven. In that one phrase, there are two claims made. The first one is that heaven is the engine room of our prayers. It is the source that we go to that never runs dry. And the second claim is that earth, where we are right now, is the place where our prayers are activated. It is the place where we see our prayers made visible. You see, prayer is silent and reflective and rooted in solitude. Prayer is also audacious and wild and charismatic and loud, but at its most simple and childlike an elementary prayer is asking. Jesus said, ask, and it shall be given to you. Ask. Prayer is not complex. Prayer is not pretentious. It is meant to be spoken in everyday earthly languages. Jesus teaches us to pray in the same way that we talk to our friends or the barista in the coffee shop or our family around the dinner table. He teaches us to pray in everyday ordinary language. It's supposed to be grounded, grounded in the concerns of your everyday, what you will eat, what you will do, how you will speak, how you will engage, where you're going, the meetings you have. It is supposed to be grounded in that. Jesus in this prayer rips it out of the temple, the idea of prayer rips it right out of the temple and into our everyday, ordinary lives, our day-to-day basic needs and requests. You see, here's the tension. If we pray for the end of global hunger, but we sit down to McDonald's without giving grace and thanks for what we've been given, we miss out. And if we pray for the end of COVID-19 and we stand outside our front doors and we clap instead of clasping our hands in prayer for the NHS and the staff that we know and the nurses that we know, we miss out. It is so easy. It is so easy to judge the prayers of those who pray for haircuts or parking spaces as if we know the priorities of the almighty and incomprehensible God that we worship. And when we do that, we suffocate God. We restrict them. If our prayer lives are only limited to the large, audacious, noble request to God, we live a spiritually cramped life with little room to encounter the God that we meet in the person of Jesus in this very passage. 
we miss out on the God-given reality. See, God pull through in the little, in the small things of your life. A God that isn't just interested in the big dreams and ambitions of your heart, but the little details of your Monday and your Tuesday. He wants to be in it all. And when we miss out experiencing that, we don't live into the gratitude that we're supposed to be. Ronald Rollheiser says, to be a saint is to be fueled by gratitude. Nothing more, nothing less. Only one kind of person transforms the world spiritually. Someone with a grateful heart. When you pray to God, what expression does he have? When you imagine the face of God as you pray to him, what expression does he wear? The answer to that will tell you a lot about your spirituality. It'll tell you a lot about your prayer life. Is he angry or annoyed or irritable? Does he seem a little bit disengaged or hard to reach? Or is he a God that is hanging on to your every word, longing to know what you're going to say? The pathway to gratitude is hidden in prayer, and Jesus, Jesus called it to give us today our daily bread. It is asking and keep asking. It is both kingdom come and grace before food. Not either or, but both. You see, asking in the small spaces of our life allows us to rage war. It is a battle cry against control in our lives. And it allows us to live into a relationship with God where we trust Him. You see, we all want control. We all want to micromanage aspects and parts of our lives. And the desire of that isn't necessarily bad. We all want to be fruitful. We all want to live a life of meaning. We all want to matter in our lives. And because of that, we begin to micromanage and control every aspect of our lives so that that can be the case. And the outcome of that is we become exhausted and very often extremely anxious because we feel like we are carrying the weight of it all. You see, it's ha- we're okay to say in the moments again, say, I want to live for God, but I want to manage the details. I want to control the things that I can control. It's actually really easy to trust God with the answers to your theological questions. It's much more difficult to trust Him with the desires and the longings of your heart. It's really easy to trust God ultimately, but it's a totally different thing to trust Him immediately, right now in your present. Or to speak to Northern Irish Christianity. We're happy to trust God with where we go after we die, our eternal security. But do we trust Him day to day, moment by moment, circumstance by circumstance? We like to let God look after the big stuff, right? The big things that are pressing. And then our attitude is that we'll just manage the little, we'll take care of that, we'll plan our next step. You see, when we trust the God of kingdom come and not the God of daily bread, we fall victim to the lure of control. We live away from trust and into micromanaging. And the truth is, why so many of us are left anxious is that we're not supposed to and we're not designed to do this thing called life on our own. It's to be lived with him. God longs for us to be a people of surrender. The truth is with surrender is that you're only ever surrendered as your next step, no matter how small it is. That's the marker of what it means to live a life surrendered. 
But this is what it means when we use the phrase, this is how our hearts were burning within us. This is how our hearts burn within us. When we realize that God isn't just in control or in charge of the big things, but he wants to be in the little things. We find him in a Monday and a Tuesday, the same way we find him on a Sunday morning environment here. We begin to realize that he's in it all and wants to be in it all. We realize that he cares about the pressing and crazy issues facing teenagers, but he also cares about the stresses of your heart and mind right now. He wants to be in it all. And this is the very reason that God teaches us to pray, give us today our daily bread. This is not a one-off prayer. This is a daily thing. Give us today our daily bread. Every day we're to ask. But asking kind of sounds needy, right? Maybe all of us have a friend who's a little bit needy, who's always asking for things or to hang out or whatever else. The word give us in this passage in the Greek refers to a Greek word called didymai. Everyone say didymai. Everyone say it three times really fast. That has no relevance to anything. I've just thought it'd be funny. That Greek word has reference to sacrificial giving, sacrificial offering. It's the same phrase that uh, is used when Jesus gives us the authority to do everything that he's done. It's also the same uh, word that we see used in the very famous passage in Matthew where we read that the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life, give his life as a ransom for many. Some of us can think that asking God in the little areas of our life can feel like the whiny play of of a toddler. I just need help. I need, I need you just asking for the small things. But it is actually an offensive weapon to wage war against the control and the anxiety that we face in our everyday lives. You see, the cross seemed like weakness when Jesus hung on it. But we all know that three glorious days later, he rose victorious, defeating death, sin, and the grave. And therefore, nothing is impossible for us. What can seem like weakness of inviting God into the areas of life that we think that we can handle is actually one of the greatest strengths we can find as Jesus followers because we begin to surrender our lives and live into the trust that we're supposed to have in him. Daily bread prayers, which are daily, wean us off our own dependence on ourselves. We live away from the illusion that we can do this all on our own. And it is a reminder to us daily that we are not the ones that are in charge, God is. And this prayer replaces control with surrender and trust. But hold on. The elephant in the room with all this. Maybe a few of you are asking. Should that scripture that talks about God knowing what we need before we even ask. Our Father knows what we need before we even ask him. Why do we need to ask if God already knows the very things that we need day in, day out? If you read the Gospels, nearly every time Jesus heals someone, he asks them. Would you like to be well? He asked them. And it's them that respond. He asked the question to the most obvious answers. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. So like his father, he knows what we need before we even ask. Yet he insists on us asking. This Bible cover to cover insists on humanity asking questions. If you want your prayer life to change, stop making statements and start asking questions. Because that requires God to respond. It requires a response. Cover to cover we see God asking for our consent before he does something. Jesus searches for it in the Gospels. So why does he insist on asking if he knows what we're going to do? Because this God that we worship, 
is a relational God. He's not a far off God. He's a relational God for us. Relationship, kind of spoiler alert, God's great end game with us is at very least relationship with us where we enjoy him forever and he enjoys us forever. That is at least, like at least what heaven is. I think it's much more than that. But that is God's great end game. And communication is the basis of all good relationships. In fact, it's dependent upon him. Relationships insist on us asking because asking insists on, on vulnerability. When you ask someone for something, you risk a no. You risk disappointment. You risk being let down or rejection. It's the very reason why I never asked girls out when I was 17. <laughs> I was terrified. I didn't want to get a no. Most people ask me, like, when did you and Jenny meet? Like, they think we just met a few years ago. I knew Jenny when I was 18, and I really fancied her at 18. And uh, she used to work in a clothes shop in, in Belfast. And uh, I used to, like, like, text her and mess her online, and we'd talk back and forth. And then I used to, like, just wander into the shop she worked in to walk around, just hoping that I'd bump into her and have a conversation. And uh, what would happen is I'd walk in, I'd kind of see her, she'd wave, and then I would pee myself and run out. So, um, and that's kind of how it went for like a few months. And then we, I just eventually never asked right. And 10 years later, I ended up asking right. And well, we are where we are now. But uh, whenever I asked Jenny about that moment, she's just like, you were just chatting to me and then radio silence. And, I, and she tells me, you know, I'm not sure, I'm, I'm still a wee bit, sus, like, it's a bit sus, but she was like, if you'd asked me then, I would have said yes. I'm not convinced of that, but <laughs> we're going we're gonna to go with that. But because I never asked, I never found out. Why didn't I ask? Because I didn't want to risk being disappointed. You see, until we start asking God, he can't either disappoint us or surprise us. He can't do that until we ask. That's why he insists on us, us asking. Conversation with God is casual as small talk. So if relationship is the end game, how do we get there? Empowerment is how we live into this. Carl Barth has a quote which makes me really nervous in all honesty. It says this, God does not act in the same way whether we pray or not. Prayer exerts an influence upon God's action, even upon his existence. Now, Every word in that quote makes me nervous. Like, it doesn't really sit right with me. Like, the prayers that we pray can exert influence on Almighty God. And even upon His existence. It's kind of an uncomfortable quote, right? In the Bible, in the Old Testament, we read of, an, we have a, read of a conversation between Moses and God in Exodus 32, where God is angry with Israel. He's angry with the Israelites because after leading them out of slavery, parting the Red Sea, making bread fall from the sky and water come from rocks, they decide we will worship another God. And that sounds wild, doesn't it? And I always find it interesting when I talk to teenagers or I talk to people who don't know Jesus yet, they always say, if God just did a miracle before my very eyes, I believe. I'm not so sure. The Israelites have seen many, much more than that and yet they still doubt and wander away. And so God says, essentially says in the crisp paraphrase, I'm done with these people. It's not going to work out well for them. And so, Mo so Moses then prays to God. And in that prayer, he confronts God. He reminds God of who he is and what his character is like. And then it reads that the Lord relented and did not bring disaster upon the Israelites. 
Hold on a second. Moses prayed and changed God's mind. If you dive into the Hebrew, there's emotion all over the initial language. It actually is said that Moses' prayer emotionally moved God. God changed his mind. Really. He hears and he listens and he changes his mind. Now listen, there's a whole lot of mystery involved in this. In the book Malachi, we see an interaction where God says to Malachi, I, the Lord, do not change. And then again in Hosea, we see God say that my heart has changed within me. How can both of these be true? It makes absolutely no sense. How can both of these be true? This is the point, that God is a relational being to know, not a formula to follow. This is the point of that. He is a relational being to know, a friend to know, not a formula to follow. And any relational being has mystery. No matter how much you know someone, there will always remain mystery in your relationship. I'm married nine months and I'm learning a lot about myself, like a lot about myself and a lot about my wife. But for no longer, for not, no matter, to my dying days, I will still live with mystery in our relationship. I will never fully know them and she will never fully know me. Now she'll know me well and better and better and better, but she will never know me well. JC over here is my best friend. I've known him for 15, 16 years. So, and he does not know every aspect about my life. There's still mystery remaining in that component. Some of us want to remove mystery from our relationship with God because we think it'll improve our faith. Faith requires us to trust Him in and through the mystery. We can never annihilate mystery from our relationship with God. Now listen to me. It's dangerous to build a whole theology around this one interaction with Moses. I'm not suggesting we do that. But the Bible reveals a very clear pattern that God always responds to his character. And he wants to be a friend, not a formula. Our temptation is to strip the Bible from its mystery, to give answers and explanations for everything inside it, how it's perfectly cohesive. And when we do that, we're left with a formula, not a friend. You see, this book, the Bible, is not a book about how people used to relate to God. It is an invitation for each of us to know him personally and to engage with him personally and to know him on a personal level. If the band are, are here and want to jump up, that would be great. Moses' prayer tells us that God listens to what we say. It also tells us that he cares. And it also tells us that he responds. Maybe that's just the Old Testament, right? The book of James, which is written to the everyday, normal, average Jesus follower, is quoted to say, you have not because you have not asked. God insists on miracles. From shaking the temple floor to healing the sick to raising the dead to opening the eyes of the blind, God releases his supernatural power through the act of asking. A popular verse in Matthew that is read a lot. If you then, who, know how, who are evil, know how to give good, good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? God knows what we need before we ask. And he knows what we're going to ask before the words even leave our mouths. And the beauty is that we worship and trust the God that listens, even when he knows what we're going to say. 
a God who hangs on our every word. But more so than that, he wants to know what you want. He wants to know the wants of your heart, the desires, not just the needs, but the wants of your heart. See, it's true, God has a lot going on. But he insists on hearing what you want. You have not because you ask not. My inkling is that many of us engage with God kind of like a 17-year-old Chris McNaught trying to engage with Jenny Geddes. We're happy to kind of get close enough and chat a wee bit but we're afraid to ask. You have not because you ask not. The scriptures are clear. He insists on us asking. He doesn't just want to meet your needs. He wants to exceed that. He wants to know what you want. And so the question this morning is as simple and as bold as it is, Jesus is here this morning and he is asking each of you the question. He is a relational God that wants to know you each individually, not just corporately as a gathering. Each and every one of us individually, the question that Jesus is asking you is what do you want? I know what you need. What do you want? What do you want? What's growing in your heart? What desires do you have? What do you want to see God do around you in your workplace, your schools, your family? What do you want? Jesus is asking. And so we're going to respond. We're going to do some ministry after this. But I want to take a moment right now as we sit and the band lead us. And really simply, I want you to respond to the question that Jesus is asking. What do you want? He is your daily bread. Today, ask him, what do you want? If you're able, will you join us and stand? And uh, if, if it's helpful, why don't... Uh, each of you close your eyes um, we do this for you sometimes to help focus them on what God's doing in a room and um, we're going to create a moment in just a moment to, to do some prayer ministry and to pray for some of you guys and uh, James came over to me and uh, just shared a little bit of an inkling that's on his heart and completely resonates with me but I feel like there's people in the space maybe watching online that um, can hear my humility in this and as someone who's just began this journey, but uh, your marriage is, is struggling. Your marriage is really difficult and hard right now. And in the conversations, your attitude is, we're just going to figure it out. We're just going to work through it. We're just going to get it done. We're just going to get the other side of it. We're just going to manage it. And I feel like Jesus is saying, you have not because you ask not. And allow God to move into that. And so going to create a moment where if you want to respond to that, um, we'd love to do that. So just get a sense of 
that proverb, hope deferred, makes the heart grow sick. To some of us, our hearts are a bit weary as it comes to the idea of asking God for stuff. We can't trust Him until we ask Him. And so I, I, I just pray for each of you to be brave enough to come forward and ask God for what is on your heart, what He's placed in you that you're longing to see happen. And so um, if you're on staff, if you were doing the prayer ministry training uh, a few weeks ago, why don't you come up front now and grab a seat on the stage? Um, and so if you want to respond in any way, like this is as practical response as anything. You have not because you ask not. Your response is to ask. Go and ask for prayer, whatever it looks like. You don't even have to say anything. Just come. These guys are really good people. They love to pray for you. So if we can pray for anything around that, we would love to do that. Um, let me pray for us. We'll do some prayer ministry, and then you guys are free to enjoy your Sunday. Jesus, thank you for these moments that we share together where we get to worship you. We get to open your scriptures and hear and learn about your heart for us. God, we're grateful that you're a God who loves to know the big desires and longings of our heart, but you also care about the little and the small details. And so God, I pray we would experience you in the small as much as we do in the big this week. You would walk with us alongside us. God, I pray you would go ahead of us out of this space. You would walk alongside us side by step, step by step. You would hem us in from behind and defend us. And God, would we experience the God, the relational God that longs to meet us in the everyday, ordinary moments of our lives and would our hearts be overcome with gratitude of a God so mighty but yet cares about every detail of our hearts and our minds. Be with us. In Jesus' name, amen.